Kind World is sponsored by American Public Media, presenting the podcast, The Slowdown. The Slowdown offers five minutes of calm every weekday. One of the most celebrated poets of our time, host Tracy K. Smith, provides insight and poetry that offers a few moments of reflection. Listen to The Slowdown wherever you get your podcasts. Check out Business Casual, a new podcast by Morning Brew. Every week, host Kinsey Grant breaks down the biggest stories in business with the biggest names in business. They're diving into everything, from the economics of influencer marketing and the booming fitness industry, to the myth that is work-life balance and the ins and outs of M&A. Listen to Business Casual wherever you get your podcasts. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Welcome to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Ammer. And I'm Andrea Aswahe. How far are you willing to go to help a complete stranger? We have a very action-packed episode of Kind World for you this week. Our first story comes from our friends at Endless Thread, a podcast from WBUR and Reddit that delves into some of the internet's best stories. Co-host Amory Sievertson tells us about the 300-mile journey one man took to help someone he's never even met. Then stay tuned after the break for a story about a heart-stopping rescue. And trust us, you don't want to miss this one. But first, here's Amory. Susan is a 30-something-year-old American woman who is spending a couple weeks vacationing by herself in Japan. As she was packing her bags, trying to stuff in all the little knickknacks she got, she started getting a little stressed. And then that slight anxiety turned into a full-on freakout. I was trying to organize myself, and I slowly began to realize that my passport was not in my bag, so I was trying to not panic immediately, but eventually I went through everything and it just wasn't there. So I really, I panicked. I was like, holy crap, what do I do? Susan frantically called the U.S. Embassy, but they told her she'd have to wait until Monday to get help as in the day she was supposed to be back at work at a New York nonprofit. So she called the last place she stayed, a hotel in Kyoto, 300 miles away. They immediately said, yes, we just found the passport. So, I mean, I was slightly relieved, but the information didn't do that much for me. Susan's flight was taking off in eight hours. It would take her a full day to go to Kyoto and then back to Tokyo. Desperate, she posted online on a message board website called Reddit and wrote, quote, Hello, being a complete idiot, I left my passport in Kyoto at a hotel, and now I have a flight from Tokyo Narita at 6.30 p.m. Is there anyone who happens to be coming back from Tokyo in the next few hours that I could meet at the airport or anywhere in Tokyo? Such a long shot, but I would be eternally grateful and willing to compensate. I posted it and then closed the app, and I don't think I looked for another 45 minutes. Susan's post attracted several people online who were trying to help her solve her problem. One of them was Vince Maggio, another American vacationing in Japan. Even on vacation, I, you know, you, you get into routines, you know, have coffee, browse the internet. You know, that's how I start my morning. Vince was in the city of Osaka, and he replied, Hey, I'm closer to Kyoto than you. I can be your long-range courier. Someone was in a bind, so, yeah, I just decided to help him out. <laughs> 
a complete stranger on Reddit, willing to pick up your passport and hand it to you in person in the middle of Tokyo. It seems a little crazy, but Susan decided to give Vince a call. He just, like, sounded like he was completely ready and willing to accept the mission, and there was no time wasted on the phone. Vince sprung into action. He hopped on a train to Kyoto to pick up the passport at the hotel, and along the way, he posted pictures and updates of his journey. In total, it took Vince about four hours to get to the train station in Tokyo, where Susan was waiting for him. Getting together at the train station was the probably the hardest part of the whole thing. Uh, Tokyo Station is insane. We were messaging each other about where to meet, and then actually it still took... It still probably took, like, at least 10 minutes to find each other at the station because there's just so many entrances. And, of course, she was looking for a six-foot-two, uh, you know, goofy-looking ginger with, with glasses. So, I mean, I, you can find me from a mile away in Japan. They finally met, and he quickly handed her the passport because, you know, she had to hurry up and get to the airport. I still didn't know if I was going to make my plane, actually. Um, and my uh, train left in, I think, maybe 10 minutes. So we had like a very frantic, rushed conversation. Obviously, I expressed my gratitude repeatedly and told him how much it meant to me that a stranger would do something so kind. And like, you know, I just thanked him a bunch of times. Mission accomplished. Susan got her passport. She made it in time for her flight. And like a true hero, Vince downplayed the whole thing. It, it didn't really seem like that big a deal. <laughs> I honestly think most people wouldn't say no to a, a reasonable help request. So why would Vince spend his entire day helping this complete stranger from the internet? He says it's because he lived in Japan for a couple years, where he frequently met locals willing to go out of their way to help him. And so he wanted to pay it forward. I want them to have the same sort of Japanese experience I had when I first came. It's a hospitality Susan hopes to one day return. It meant a lot. I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time. I let him know next time he's in New York that many beverages will be on me. That story was produced by Amory Sievertson, Ben Brock Johnson, and Josh Schwartz from WBUR and Reddit's Endless Thread podcast. We'll be right back after the break. In San Diego and Tijuana, where I live, there's already a big wall. But it's not just a barrier. Here, we have a church that meets at the actual border fence. On the Mexico side, we have people visiting their friends, their relatives from the U.S. side. And this ability to experience the blend of two worlds, it inspires us. Being in a place where I can cross a line and be in a world that is profoundly different from the one that I woke up in makes the synapses in my brain go off on a level that I really enjoy and I want to take advantage of as much as possible. I'm Alan Liliental, host of Only Here, a sonic exploration of life at the U.S.-Mexico border. Get Only Here on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Amr. And I'm Andrea Aswahe. What a fun piece from our friends at Endless Thread. I love a good real-life action story. Well, in that case, brace yourself. I have another great story for you. And just a warning, it'll have your heart pumping. Okay. <laughs> so a while ago, I spoke to a man named Michael Connor, 
and it was shortly after he experienced the most epic moment of his life. But before I go on, let me just tell you a little bit more about Michael. He's a 42-year-old professional photographer who lives with his wife and three young children in Calvert County, Maryland. Which is where exactly? It's just southeast of Washington, D.C., and here's how Michael describes it. It's pure country. It's 35, 40 minutes out of the city. It's just great for the kids, and we absolutely love it. So on October 13th, 2018, Michael was the lead photographer at a wedding. October is his busiest month. And on this particular night, the couple decides to change their schedule a bit. And so he and his two assistants end up staying an extra half hour. This timing detail becomes very important later. Anyways, he finally gets out around 9.30, 10 p.m., and he's driving home on this dark, empty country road. And in the distance, I saw a glow. And it was obviously a glow from a fire. The only thing I could think of was that's obviously a car fire. And when I got really a lot closer, I realized that nobody else was around. There were a couple of cars that were just starting to pull over, but there were no police, no fire. And I remember it just hit me all at once that this must have literally just happened. Yasmin, this is always really tricky because we've all driven by accidents or people stranded on the side of the road and thought, geez, should I stop? Should I help? What can I even do? Michael's immediate instinct was to stop to see how he could help. A couple of other cars stopped too, and they all immediately rushed to the car that was hit. But a few yards away, Michael saw the other car, and it was burning. So I ran up the hill and just yelled for people to follow me, and nobody did that I know of. Um, I came up, saw the uh, driver's side door open. Uh, the entire engine was on fire. The entire front dashboard was on fire. Oh, my God, that's crazy. I mean, what do you even do in that moment? Did he have a plan or something? That's hard to say. The situation was a little precarious, as you can imagine. And to make matters worse, Michael noticed that there's an unconscious woman outside of the burning car. And at first, he wasn't even sure she survived. And I saw her move and start to talk a little bit, so I realized at that moment she was alive. I remember yelling and saying, is there anyone else in the van? And the mom looked up and said, my son. I'm getting goosebumps and chills just thinking about it. Every time I think about that moment where she said, my son, I remember stepping over her and running down the passenger side of the van. And I am just starting to hear explosions. The airbags were still inflated, so I remember lifting it up, but you kind of had to force it up, and I duck underneath, and there's a child staring right back at me. He was calm. He was looking around. I remember he was sitting in a brown car seat. I remember his top, and I remember his curly blonde hair and his big black eyes just staring around, and... And thank God for my kids. And I've told them this multiple times since then. You know, I've taken them in and out of car seats thousands of times. And so I just instantly knew where to put my hands and how to get him out. Things are exploding, and I really don't know how much longer we have. So I remember just grabbing him underneath the armpits, coming straight up with him, slid him out put him to my left shoulder and just start running like a football and just yelling, I have your son, he's okay, and just running.
and Andrea get this, an eyewitness said that more parts of the car just exploded a few seconds after Michael saved the child. Oh my God, it's like the ultimate right place, right time situation. Exactly. If it all didn't go right, if it all didn't just go almost perfectly, it would have been very different. I think if I'd sped, I would have been maybe 15 seconds farther down the road and it would have happened right after I drove by. So, Yasmin, what happened to the child and his mother? They're both fine now, but they suffered some serious injuries from the crash. Thankfully, none were life-threatening. A police report says the mother's car, the one that was on fire, was going the wrong way down the street when it hit another vehicle head-on. The little boy was only around 20 months old at the time of the accident. We're not going to share his name or his mother's name because the family wants privacy. Talk about lucky. I mean, the fact that Michael is a father himself, so he knew just how to unbuckle that car seat so quickly. It's amazing. So how did the families react to all of this? Obviously, the boy's family was incredibly grateful for what Michael did. But there were some mixed emotions from Michael's family, especially from his wife, Nicole. She has to go through those those dueling ideas of being very proud of what I did and also being very scared about what I did, um, especially the next day when we realized that it was as close as it was. And so f- that's been a hard thing for her. I mean, what Michael did was incredible, but we all know that in these life or death situations, when you're offering this supreme act of kindness, you know, saving someone's life, you're putting your own at risk. It's true. And that's what makes these decisions so complex. And just so you know, Michael isn't the adrenaline junkie or daredevil type. But he is the kind of guy that will help his neighbors change a tire or shovel snow. He likes to help others. And in this case, that desire to help led him to do something extraordinary. Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikas and Matt Reed do our sound design. Sabrina Delmonico is our intern. And Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer Yasmin Amr. And I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahe. Has a stranger ever gone out of their way to help you? Or vice versa? Maybe you've been the kind stranger helping someone in need. If so, tell us your story at kindworld at wbur.org. Or find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WBUR Kind World. And we have a small favor to ask you that will really help us out. Please hit that subscribe button on your feed and leave us a review. That will help other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.